You are listening to Sustainability, Time to Change, a Tome podcast for lifelong learning. Energy is something we use every day. Popping the lights on, running the dishwasher, tuning in to your favourite Tome podcast. It is second nature to pull on the magic of electricity, but do we fully understand its impact on the environment? Today, we are joined by Susanna Kurowski, a researcher at Tome's Professorship for Innovation and Technology Management to discuss the changing face of energy. This is John Pye, and this is Sustainability Time to Change. Joining us from Straubing today, we have the fantastic Susanna Kurowski, Research Associate at the Professorship for Innovation and Technology Management at the Technical University of Munich. Susanna joined the team headed by Professor Doblinger in 2018, but has long been part of the Tome family, completing both her bachelor's and master's at the university. During and after her studies, Susanna has gained experience in bilateral trade organisations, startups and consultancies and her current research centres around clean tech startups. It's really great to have you with us today, Susanna. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. To, to open us up a little bit, um, as this is a topic I think, as referred to in the intro, we all like to think we know a lot about, um, but perhaps we don't, we don't know as much or don't know as much as we should about energy. Could you tell us a, a little bit more about the current state of electricity in Germany? Yeah, sure. Like... I think in Germany, like when we talk about electricity, like the first um, term that comes up is always like Energiewende, energy transition, like everyone has heard about it. And um, it has kind of like a long history. And yeah, back in the 1980s, the term was already coined, but it was uh, basically understood as a fuel source change. But currently, I believe it's more basically in transi- transition in technology, policy, market d- design, infrastructure, and it also has impacts or is incorporated in individual attitudes and um, behaviors. And yeah, what I think like the energy transition is, it's basically a change in the energy system over time and I mean Germany is one of the forerunners in the energy transition and is kind of like doing a great job at the moment. I mean you say a great a great job Susanna it's always wonderful to hear Um, in terms of a forerunner how how much of Germany's energy at the moment is produced sort of renewably and what are the other main sources of energy production? Yeah, so um, the share of combined renewables is 45% um, percent at the moment, and wind um, is the most prominent renewable energy source with almost one-fourth, so 24%. However, there's still room for improvement because still like one-third of the gross electricity um, was generated um, using lignite and hard coal in 2020 and these are the most polluting sources and um, to mention like a positive aspect and see like how the energy transition actually accelerated the renewable energy production has doubled from um, 2007 until today which is 
I think, really impressive. Absolutely. And actually, it reflects a little bit um, on, on something one of our previous guests, Professor Maganda Schreuer, said, really, that the Energiewende is in full swing. There's a lot of work still to be done, but there is a sort of positive message behind that, which is there's already been quite a lot of progress made. And I think what's particularly pertinent um, to today's topic, Susanna, and definitely within your realm of expertise, is about sort of the drivers of this change. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more also just about what they, what you see as the key technological drivers of the change and also what are the influences, the challenges uh, for them? Yeah, sure. I think one of the key drivers is on the technological level. So I think the improved economics of renewables really drives the change. And I mean, renewable energy sources and also storage technologies are pretty important. And a really important reference metric in this context is the levelized cost of electricity. It basically measures the cost per produced uh, unit of electricity. And when we look at the cost of uh, levelized cost of electricity of uh, conventional energy resources such as lignite, coal, and gas, and um, also renewables such as PV and wind, so they are actually cost competitive. So I think that's a big driver in the technological realm. But also, like in addition to improved economics, I think like innovations are super important to really um, tackle climate change and reach net zero emission in the end. Yeah, to be maybe a bit more particular, like a study by the Energy Information Administration in the U.S. found that innovations that are at prototype or demonstration phase today will contribute to um, 35% of emission reduction to reach um, the net zero emissions. I think that's so this emphasizes really the need for innovation in in this context. I mean, that's a really interesting point that you raised there, Susanna, about this change. I mean, there's there's been quite a lot, like you say, a lot of progress in the last 10 years, but interesting as well, such a big figure quoted there by the study from the US, being quite reliant upon new technology, upon entrepreneurship, upon innovation. Um, and this, of course, is one of the key focuses of, of your study. And I suppose... Yeah, what, what's what's hindering or what's what are the roadblocks between the potential of these uh, innovations moving from this prototype phase to actually come into the market and, and making a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So startups play a crucial role in uh, developing and commercializing inno- innovations, especially in the clean tech space. So with clean tech, here I mean like startups that develop and commercialize clean energy technologies. These ventures are really technology-driven, they're agile, they quickly respond to to market opportunities and really have a focus on the problem and later on also on the solutions. So they really drive the innovations. And this is particularly important in the energy space because like we have these incumbents and these large energy suppliers, which are rather like slow to respond to changes and it's a rather conservative sector, so a lot of innovation is driven by startups. Brilliant. And yeah, that you say as well, it's it's driven by the startups, and definitely that they perhaps bring the innovation into a very traditional industry, like you say, which is a bit of a, a slow ship to steer. And it's interesting because, and I know you look at funding particularly for these kinds of startups. How do you see the way that they're funded as being different, or is there differences? And 
is it lucrative for investors uh, to invest in this kind of technology? Yeah, so um, this is what my research is basically about. So clean tech startups are different from other startups or other sectors such as IT because yeah, you can imagine that um, when startups develop their technologies, they need financial resources. Clean tech startups have a longer phase for um, developing their products and um, it's also like more costly. And the literature stated that they have the funding gap and I mean, that's also a practical issue. So the funding gap is called the value of death and this is longer and also deeper for clean tech startups. Yeah, there are basically um, two financing sources for startups. Firstly, we have um, funding from the public space, which could be, for example, like grants. And then we also have funding from VC investors, which is like the private financing market. And um, these VC investors, they their aim is to achieve like high uh, returns on investment. But as the value of death is deeper and longer, this poses additional technological risks on the startups. So they rather refuse to invest in these startups that actually need the money. Yeah, that's a brilliant phrase. That actually, the the value of death. It's very it's almost biblical in the way that you've described it, uh, Suzanne, in the way that the literature describes it. And it's interesting, almost juxtaposition to this thought of clean tech. And I can almost see this, you know valley in terms of the, the the death and the dryness and the sort of bleakness of walking through it with the promise of the end of this valley being some kind of green hinterland uh, where there's hopefully a sustainable a sustainable future um, but it's a really interesting point you're saying that actually private investors these venture capital firms tend to be reluctant and i suppose then that, that kind of poses the question is is this something that we can change or is there some way to change this behavior or it is what you're saying, Susanna, the, the key to this is much, much higher public investment, so government investment in these kinds of startups and enterprises? Mm, I think like what we actually need is a combination of both. Like I would say some hybrid public private financing to bridge the value of death because like um, studies have shown that grants, for example, from public financing sources are good, like to increase innovation activities such as patenting, but eventually like to really have these big investment rounds, the venture capital market is like critical also for, for clean tech startups. Okay. So a blend, a blend of both w would be needed. In terms of the, the studies that you do, it, is there already progress to, to making that happen, Susanne? Yeah, kind of. Like I particularly look in two of my projects how um, venture capital investors make decisions. And I also look at the influence of political ideology in the investment process. And the second project is about like what is the role of um, digitization in clean tech and I can elaborate a bit on both projects. So starting with the political ideology project, the idea is that um, then when venture capitalists make decisions, so they look at particular attributes of startup and in the literature it's um, often quoted as signaling theory. So the startup 
has a specific attribute which um, sends quality to investors such as patents or it has received a grant so investors are more likely to invest. However, like it's a two-sided process. So the question was, do attributes of VC investors also matter? The idea or the question was like, does political ideology on the investor side matter? I mean, there's a lot about political ideology at the moment and this divide between um, liberals and conservatives. And so what we did was we collected donation data for investors and for um, startups. These are publicly available in the U.S. and tested our hypothesis that conservative investors are less likely to uh, fund new ventures. And this was actually supported under certain conditions, but um, like the sample contains clean tech startups, which um, traditionally is more, so the whole sector is more oriented towards the liberal side. And also in the sample, we had some fintech um, startups, which are like on the neutral on a neutral point on the liberal conservative scale. And um, we didn't find a difference that conservative investors prefer, for example, fintechs over clean tech. This is a super interesting finding because actually we see investment is driven by the political ideology of the investors so that conservatives are more reluctant to invest due to avoidance of uncertainty surrounding the startup outcomes. They don't prefer to invest in specific sectors. That's really interesting. And I think it does kind of make sense, actually, when you add that to what we were talking about just, just before, about the, it's almost if it's if you're not getting the right signals from a startup in a traditional sense, that it's going to be lucrative, that you're going to get fast returns, the sorts of things that private investors are perhaps looking for for their portfolios, you need to have some other kind of motivation. There needs to be something else that makes you want to put that cash on the line and definitely it strikes me that political ideology or even perhaps so, uh, how convinced someone is about climate change and how serious the, the issue is to really invest in in that startup or in that in that innovation. Yeah, right. So it's actually like also conservative support uh, clean tech startups. So that's the message. Yeah, well, hof- hopefully everyone will eventually. That's that's kind of the key. If, if this is going to be one of the linchpins uh, to drive in the energy vendor to, to a smooth energy transition to hopefully meet those goals that have been set. Maybe actually you could also touch briefly upon your, your other project as well, Susanne, that you, you talked about. Yeah, sure. Um, so the other project is also about um, VC financing in the clean tech space. So both proje- projects um, try to understand the financing process of a clean tech startup. So what I look at in the second project is um, what influence actually does the degree of product digitization have on startup outcomes? Because like in clean tech, there are basically like two waves. So um, the first wave is about renewable energy supply and a lot of startup manufactured hardware components, like we need them for like setting up really the renewable energy assets in a physical sense. And the second wave is more about demand-side projects, uh, products which are more software-based. So the question that I had is, does it make a difference if a startup develops and commercializes hardware versus 
software products. And when we look at startups in general, and especially like long-term outcomes or growth outcomes, such as acquisition or initial public offerings, we often see that these digital startups, such as, for example, Instagram, they exit. Uh, so they have a meaningful growth e event really quickly. And as digitalization is a key trend in the energy transition, because like assets and renewable energy assets are more distributed, and we need also like software for grid balancing for demand-sided products, I was asking like, are software startups in the clean tech space more successful in the long term? Yeah, actually they are. So that's what I found. <laughs> <laughs> And um, they also require like different networks and um, this can have also like important implications because like I still believe that we need innovation on both sides, like still in the hardware segment and to develop like new technologies, but also like in the software segment, like for examples for um, demand response application or smart home products. And the question is, like, or the implication is, if um, the hardware startups have a disadvantage over the software startups, I think here of um, public financing or public support needs to jump in to bridge this gap. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and thank you for breaking it down also so clearly. I suppose software, maybe even also looking not just at clean tech but also in terms of other big startups, which are now huge global players that come out of Silicon Valley, for example. Instagram was also one that you quoted. They seem perhaps to be more attractive then for venture capital funds, for private investment, if they feel that there's going to be a, a greater return in a shorter period of time. Yeah, exactly. So it definitely is related to the development cycles also, like hardware needs a long time to be developed and it's pretty complex. I mean, software can also be complex, but at least you can scale it really quickly. And it's also interesting if you look at the exit mechanism of these startups, I mean, acquisition is a pretty important exit route. So that startups get acquired by energy suppliers, utilities, and traditionally these companies are rather reluctant in acquiring, but they realize right now that they need these digital competencies. So they start acquiring startups that's rather digital. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I suppose just one question that's kind of popped into my mind, w would a solution be then more public investment in those companies to then try and bridge that gap via them if they're the ones who need to acquire for example the hardware or do you think the solution is as you say sort of public investment directly to these smaller firms to smaller enterprises who can then either at some point maybe sell themselves on or directly have an impact on the market themselves uh, so i think like first of all direct investment in these um, startups or direct support but then also like these acquisition mechanisms uh, should be supported. For example, you could, through regulations, make more innovative business models um, possible. Like regulation always lags behind. For example, thinking about the prosumer models, like a lot of households are consumers. 
So they consume the energy, but also produce them in terms of PV system, roof-mounted PV systems. But actually, the question is also, these units are so small, how can you bundle them? So um, I think it's also eventually a question of regulation that um, makes business models possible. So bigger firms have an incentive to acquire innovative startups. Okay, that's really interesting. Thank you for that. So rather perhaps than, than, than money flowing to these companies, there should be regulation that enables them to make strategic decisions like acquiring these smaller startups. Yeah. Maybe then, Susanna, and I'm, I'm looking at the clock, um, just to take us down another route, which I'd still be really keen to explore when we're on the topic of energy. And I think you've touched upon this already in, in one of your first answers by saying that actually wind, wind energy is one of the most prominent forms of renewables just now. Which, which renewable do you think has the most potential? Yeah, I actually think that uh, wind has a great potential and especially like offshore wind because you can really build these big wind parks in the ocean. But they are incredibly expensive and uh, difficult to execute and really the logistics. I see offshore wind as a great contributor to renewables also in the future and of course solar and always and storage units. I suppose bringing us then in a full circle, it, if, if wind energy in the long run has perhaps got the most potential, is it also going at some point be quite lucrative? I know you said it's competitive at the moment with other competitors, and I suspect if it becomes lucrative or not will also depend upon the regulation that's set on its competitors and on, on renewable energy generally. But do you think that venture capitalists are maybe missing a trick by not investing quite heavily now in this realm because it is the future that inevitably we will have to get to this stage at some point? Yeah, I think um, there is this gap maybe in their minds um, that they're just focusing on returns on investment in the ecological sense. But I think eventually like these technologies are for the public good. So they contribute to our well-being in the future and it's so important so i think eventually it's also a question of how do you define value and it is it just economic value or hopefully soon we shift towards a more sustainable value definition also incorporating the ecological and also social dimension in the end i think that's actually a really nice note almost to finish on there susanna because when we think about startups and investment, you're right, the obvious metric to think about is definitely returns in a monetary sense. But this, as you say, is a bit bigger than that. It's, it's, it's a question of values. It's a question of will there be much to invest in in 100 years' time if we don't do something about this? Brilliant. So I think from my side, one final question, if I may. If, if our listeners were keen to find out more about clean tech, about startups in this sort of space, and maybe the challenges they face, where, where could they find out more? Yeah, I would like to give um, three recommendations for further reading. So the first one is a paper by Goldstein and colleagues, and it's about like bridging the value of death with public funding. And the second paper by Doblinger and colleagues also aligns on this topic. So it's also about the role of governments as partners for clean tech startups. 
And the third resource is more like an overview. It's um, the Climate Policy Playbook by the Breakthrough Energy Coalition, and that gives a great overview also um, on other sectors beyond electricity and innovation policy. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, Susanna. We'll make sure to put those into our programme notes uh, so that our listeners can go and read more about the Valley of Death and of playbooks as well. It sounds fantastic. Um, Then from my side, Susanna, thank you very much indeed for your time today. A real pleasure having you with us this morning. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. And yeah, maybe we'll touch base again in the future as well, just to see where we're up to, what new innovations have reached the market, and to see if uh, venture capitalists have slowly started to change their value system, hopefully. I hope so too. That was a Toon podcast for lifelong learning. Sustainability, time to change. If you want to find out more on the topic, subscribe to the series and check our program notes for further resources.